Hey, good morning. So, Father, we want to say, Lord, we need you. We love you. You are the king of the earth, and you sit above the circle of the earth. And we want to give you the glory. Let's do your name. Come on, let's bless him. As we draw near to the Lord this morning, but over the whole course of your Christian existence, your, your journey is a pilgrimage of drawing closer and closer. But there is a requirement. There's a requirement. At some level, you will have no other gods before me. And it's a call to exalt the pearl of great price, the one greatest treasure that you could ever meet. And the mistake we make is thinking, oh, I'm born again, I go to church, I started tithing, I, I have done that. But this morning in, in the prayer room, I was seeing this picture from the Lord of the Rings where, where you have this uh, Bilbo character and he has, he has the ring. And he's normal. He's, he's, he's affable. He's friendly. He's, he smiles. He invites people into his home. Until you get close to the ring. Until you get close to the precious. At the core of his being, there's one thing that he's holding on to. And if you cross that threshold where you threaten his ability to hold on to his precious, then the real nature of what hides and what keeps that thing lunges forward. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry. If you don't know the picture, I'm sorry. But I just can't do it justice. The Lord is looking for the precious. He's looking for that one thing. He said, do you trust me enough? to give me everything? Do you trust me enough to let me have full sway, all authority in your life? So Father, we want to say today, if we are holding some treasure that keeps us from casting down all of our crowns, from laying it all down before you, we say, Lord, put your finger on those things, Lord, that our fears are rooted in, that distrust holds on to tightly. Father, we want to give you the glory that's due your name. We want worship to be real, authentic, genuine, and full. Father, help us. Let's worship him and let him touch our hearts. I think one of the things that we need to do at a moment like this so I think sometimes it's obvious what those things are that we hold in our hands and we don't want to let go of, but I think sometimes it's not so obvious. I think there's times where we hold on to things and we don't even see them. And I think this is that moment as we just go into this one more time, just ask the Lord, Lord, what are those things that I'm holding on to? What are those things that you want me to lay down at your feet? Search our hearts right now, Father God. Begin to show us. Father, our desire is that we would not put anything above you. So, Father, if it's ourselves, if it's the things of the world, 
whatever it is, Father, right now, as we just give our full attention to you, we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would show us those things that we need to lay down. So let's just take the next two minutes, ask him to show you, and lay those things down. Make a commitment to him not to hold them any longer. The goal of the church is to do the will of the Father. And in order for the church to do the will of the Father, this is a pivotal moment in our journey. So we're going to actually shift, and we're going to go right into the Word this morning. But before we do that, Father, I just pray right now, God, over all of our hearts, those very things, God, that we need to lay down, that you would bring a revelation to each and every one of us in this room. Father, show those things that we need to lay down at your throne and let our desire be your desire. Let our will be your will. Let our focus be your focus. Father, begin to shift our hearts right now that we would take our hands off the things of the world. And Father, we would just begin to extend our hands to you. Thank you, Jesus. Can we say amen to that? Let me, let me start by saying this morning that God loves you. And you know the proof that God loves you? You know the greatest proof that God loves you? Is he disciplines you. <laughs> Come on. Right? That's what the Bible says. The greatest proof of God's love is that he, he disciplines you. He's not going to leave you alone in your junk, right? And uh, we see examples time, time again. The scripture is full of that. But, but there's something in us sometimes that is resistant to discipline, right? It's, we, we tend to shy away from it. We, it's so much better when people are just always celebrating us, right? You are amazing. Oh, thank you. I kind of knew that already, but... I appreciate the reinforcement. <laughs> but, you know, I, I found that Jesus, Jesus, you know, he, he, you can't argue that he was, you know, say he wasn't loving. He was certainly loving. But, you know, at times he's really quite sharp, right? Quite sharp. And when, when it comes to the truth in particular, he's quite sharp. And I've talked about this in the past, but one of the most amazing things is despite the opposition to him and, and the fact that he's trying to build a following, he's actually doubling down all the time on his followers, right? I mean, and, and I know what that's like. You know, when a lot of people are against you and you have a few people for you, it's like you're just happy for those ones that are for you. You're like, I don't, know what to, I don't want to do anything to upset them. <laughs> However, yeah, but but Jesus, he he didn't seem to be so inclined. He, you know, he was okay with confronting. Uh, now he had a lot of followers, but relative to everybody who wasn't following him, you know, in the earth, uh, it was a sliver of people that were following him, and compared to the opposition, and so. Uh, but the fact is that he always was doubling down on his disciples. And we, know, we see that thing with Peter. I mean, he's, he's right after Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, for, you know, you don't uh, know the things that are for, of God. You don't appreciate the things that are of God. Well, discipline is the sign of love. Ah, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today 
Father, that you would give us a heart for truth, the truth that sets us free. The truth we have conveniently overlooked. We have de-emphasized the truth that we have given lip service to, but it kind of sits in the side. Uh, Its importance is negligible to us. Father, we pray, Lord, that the things that you treasure would become the things that we treasure. Father, change us, I pray in Jesus' name. You know, the truth is we're on a journey, and uh, when we know the truth, to the degree that we know the truth, freedom becomes our inheritance. It's what happens. You get freer and freer and freer. But what happens is God creates these scenarios of ebbs and flows with pressure and circumstances so as to bring us to the point where he's isolating the fact that we need more truth, more, more, more breakthroughs in a certain area. But he was never hesitant. You look at Revelations, at the, the churches of Revelations, right? He says, I have, hey, I have this against you. Hey, you're doing good, he starts. He says, you're doing good except for I have this one thing against you. Right, And if you don't line up here, it's going to go badly for you. Does he love us? Absolutely, he loves us. He totally loves us. So here's the starting point I want to start today. I've been writing this article. It's called Moving from Necessity to Purpose, The Organic Journey to Maturity. We are coming to maturity. God's objective is sons. He's looking for people to take over the company. The company happens to be a kingdom. He, he wants us to be his agency of rulership in the earth and for eternity. But how many of you know he's not going to share the lion's share of uh, the responsibility and the authority with those who wouldn't do things the way he would do them? Right? I mean, he... I mean, God is pretty meticulous, right? He's pretty exacting in what he decides. If you look at the, cha- the, the pattern for the tabernacle and all the things that he demands in worship, he's pretty specific. There's not a, uh, yeah, do what you want kind of approach to this. He, 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 at first, when we're incapable of coming into line, he slowly brings us into line. But his objective is always, listen, I want to bring you into line with me because in line with me is freedom. In line with me enables you to participate in the greatest aspects of who I am. And so, uh, so we, we want to we do that. But there's this invitation to know more truth, to draw closer, to have more of a part in the kingdom of God for eternity. And even, even if we miss out on something, we're still going to be happy at the end of the day. So there's no question about that. You are going to be happy uh, in heaven considering the alternative, right? There's always going to be that. But, but he says, listen, I'm going to wipe away the tears from your eyes. So despite the potential of great overwhelming happiness and satisfaction, there's going to be an element of, of grief. And it's not him just saying, oh, poor you, people treated you badly, let me wipe away the tears. It's kind of in the line of, this is what you could have been, but hey, it's all right, I love you anyway but I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to leave any of my inheritance on the table. And so I keep asking God, but I ask him with a sense that there's a possibility there's things I don't know or don't see, but I don't know and see them. Right? Right? It's like, I'm open to the idea. I'm only, but I'm only open to the idea because he's astonished me so many times. (laughs) 
that, that I just kind of expect there's going to be another level of this. But there just seems to be time and time again where you think, well, I'm a pretty good Christian. How many of you here put your hand up? If you f- Don't put your hand up. <laughs> put your hand up if you think you're a pretty good Christian. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, because we're trying. Right? We're sincere. We're here today. We're doing what we can. And, and, and we're not, as far as we, we know, arrogantly resisting his hand. But at the same time, ignorance is a factor of, of, of all of our lives. We just, an all-knowing God, who's eternal in knowledge and glory and beauty, cannot be fully discovered by a people so finite as ourselves. Right? I mean, it's just utterly impossible. So you can expect then that there's always going to be another level. Uh, but the starting point is, I want to talk about this thing around surrender. Surrender. You know, it was interesting that we came to this point this morning in the worship. Uh, and, and I thought, well, maybe we can do some more worship at the end because I feel like God wants to challenge our hearts. I feel he, he wants to encounter us for our good. Um, but in my journey, I've realized that there are things that I haven't surrendered, even though I think I've surrendered them. There are things in your journey that you think you're good with God on, but you might not be good with God on. Now, this is going to go nowhere unless we present ourselves this morning. So could we, could we just pause for a second and say, okay, God, you know, I, maybe this makes you nervous. Maybe it makes you terrified. You know, maybe you're thinking, I don't want to be disqualified. It's not about being disqualified. It's about being qualified. It's about being included. It's our choice to be included in the things that are more important to God if we want to be included. And that's what he's offering. That's always what he's offering. He's offering inclusion, proximity. He said, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Wow, what an amazing an amazing, an amazing promise. But the starting point is, I may not know. I may be even passively ignoring something he's saying. Father, I pray today for everyone here in this room and watching online or watching tomorrow, the next week, or the week after. Father, we ask that that spirit of truth Lord, that holy hound of heaven would invade the space where we are and begin to cast a shadow of light over our hearts and our lives. Lord, we invite you to do what we could never do. We invite you to illuminate the darkness. We invite you to cause clarity to come to our hearts and lives today in Jesus' name. Now, as I'm talking here, I want you to, I want you to do, make every effort to pay attention because I've already seen in your eyes some glassiness kind of come over. So, so more, you know, it's just like all of a sudden, I don't know if you're thinking about the chicken dinner tomorrow or, you know, something you're doing tonight or, but, but focus, focus, because the Lord wants to do something inside of you. He wants to do something inside of us today. But uh, at one point, Jesus is asking Peter. Peter always seemed to get the worst of it, right? <laughs> it's like, 
I, I love that because Peter's a certain kind of personality. He was the one who was always stepping out, right? So he had a kind of a raw confidence. And some people look at those people that step out all the time. You know, I, I, I'm considered a person who steps out. They, you know, my wife loves to say this to me, and I, I know it's true. She said, you're always confident, but you're not always right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I, I am confident, but, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so fragile in my confidence that I cannot be rebuked. See, oftentimes, oftentimes we assign to other people the same fragility that we have. And so we assume that, oh, they must really, 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 really think they're right if they're stepping out like that. Boy, this would be a shock for them to be wrong. No, actually, some of the, the people that step forward the most aggressively are the easily, easiest to rebuff, are the easiest to correct. That's one of the reasons they step out. They're not afraid of being wrong. And that, that's a good thing. Peter was a guy who was not afraid of being wrong. So he got most of the rebukes, <laughs> right? He, but he was, made, he was made an example of for all of us. Thank God for Peter today, right? Thank God that Peter stepped out on the boat. Thank God that Peter was the one who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank God that Peter was the one who stepped out and said, Jesus, no, you're not going to the cross, which afforded that great opportunity for us to see that, you know, within us can be the gate of heaven and the gate of hell. Right? He turns around, he says, he says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, that's not very nice. <laughs> Thank God for Peter's. Yeah, oh man, I could, we could talk about this. Sometimes, you know, sometimes certain, certain people's lives play out in public, not because they're better, but because they're an example and God needs examples. You know, sometimes we think, oh, the most anointed, visible uh, leader in the body of Christ is clearly the best. Not necessarily. They're just being used as an example. And so we get shocked when there's something wrong with them, and we think, you know, what a hypocrite. No, 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 God needs to demonstrate certain truths that are applicable to you by people that are visible. Not because they're better or worse, just because he needs to use them in that way. So let's hold back our, our, our dire judgments. You know, let's hold back our hostility and our, our uh, what's another word? It's not coming to me. Where's the synonym when you need one? But he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He's like, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Do you love me all, more than all of these? Feels like a loaded question, Lord. <laughs> yes, I love you. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? But I love that because Jesus, like a skillful surgeon, is dipping deeply into his life. Peter, do you love me? And I love the response at the end, right? And there's, there's so many nuances in this, this interaction. But at the end, you know, that he says, Lord, you know. <laughs> right? I love that. It's a, that's the sound of surrender. That's the sound of, you know, I, I'm not going to overrepresent myself. I'm not going to claim yeah, yeah. purity here in this moment because, you know, I've been down this road with you before, Lord. You know. So let's start there today. Lord, you know. You know 
What things stand between me and him in my inheritance? You know what stands between me and more peace. You know what stands between me and a better marriage, me and healing, me and, and resurrection life, me and victory, me and financial blessing, me and, 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 and knowing more of you. You know. And, I, and more than anything, we want to say, Lord, I invite you to put your finger on those things right now, right today. And let, me, let me back up. I, I said at the beginning, or it was during the worship there, about the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, you may not know this, but we as Christians were very funny. In a bizarre kind of way. And, uh, and I'm going to use myself as an example in a couple minutes, as I usually like to do. Because I think I've been probably more flawed in all these things than all of you. But the reality is, is this, that there's always something that he wants to touch and something we hold dearly to ourselves. And the thing we struggle with most is trusting anybody outside of ourselves. We could do a whole sermon on that today. And I don't necessarily want to but God is asking us he said listen your distance and your isolation and your separation from me is because you don't really trust me that's the issue that's the issue at hand it was the issue in my life when I was walking with my pastor in Vancouver, Gideon, who I thought, I trust this man more than anybody else in the, in the world. I, I, I didn't even think I could trust this man more than I trusted him until I realized I didn't trust him and started trusting him more. Then I realized, oh, between here and there was distrust. I, and I, I didn't even see it. I didn't even have a clue that it was there. But inside of me, there was this secret fear. A secret fear that, that he would take something, like if I submitted him, he would take something away from me. I, I thought if I offered complete, you know, I had my ministry, I was traveling all over the world, and, and I, I started to feel like there's something he sees that he needs to fix in me, but I don't know what it is. And what, what I didn't know is God was leading me to the place where I was willing to submit to him. And I didn't say one day, hey, I submit to you. My heart just changed. And here's what happened. As soon as my heart changed, that thing got fixed. Distrust, fear, keeps us at a distance so that the light is, that is available to us does not penetrate the darkness we're holding. Fear is one of the greatest evidences that you're holding to something. Because you're fearing losing it. That's why I love that illustration of, the, of Bilbo. And you know that classic line. Anybody who, who has seen that? Where, where he's, he's there and all of a sudden he, he's... <laughs> oh, I, I, we, should, I, we should put that up there, man. I, I, I love that because... Because it is, it is such a typical manifestation of what James in chapter 1 calls the overflow of wickedness. How many of you are married to somebody and occasionally you see an overflow of wickedness? <laughs> How many of you are looking in the mirror, right? And of course, you know, we don't think of it as an overflow of wickedness. No, it's just, you know, I was tired. 
I was just a little annoyed. I was just this or that, the other thing. No, no, no. There, there, is, there is God and there's everything else. And in him is light. And, and there's no darkness at all. See, this is the God we serve. In him is light and there's no darkness at all. That's where we're going. So it's like, uh, yeah, but my, my overflows of wickedness have become more of a trickle. <laughs> they used to be a torrent. Now they're more of a trickle. In him is light, and there's no darkness at all. We could get to a place where there's not even a trickle, and that's what we're going for. That's the journey. So anyway, let, let me get down to something here, because... Uh, I, I want to I lay something out. Moving from necessity to purpose. Some people are driven by necessity. Others uh, are guided by purpose. I, you know, there's that book, right? The, the, the Purpose Driven Life. I, I never read it. I don't even know if this is what it's about. But it could, it could be. And so if you've read it, you're thinking, Mark, you should just read that book. Uh, well, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about it anyway. So what is necessity? Necessity is, is a pressure other than internal living conviction, right? I, other than passion, other than desire. Uh, it's, like, it's like with your kids, right? Your kids. Everything they do with a, that's productive in their lives is basically is done out of necessity, right? You, how many kids... If it were up to them, would brush their teeth every night, right? We say, "Well, my kid's really good. They uh, they brush their teeth all the time." Okay, but is the necessity coming because they love to brush their teeth and value being clean, or because they love being the good child? In other words, the catalyst for it can be fear of disapproval. So, fear of disapproval is pressure, is necessity. Hear what you say, Hear what I'm saying? In other words, in other words, necessity is anything that's not native to your nature. That's not part of who you are. And so, when our kids are young, we make them do things they don't want to do. And and when they don't want to do them, they try to avoid them. They delay, and in the end, they do them poorly. <laughs> right? Because they're doing. They don't want to do them. You know. And sometimes we joke about this in, in, in our house. You know, Wendy said, yeah, you just, you just got bad at everything you didn't want to do it's until the point where I just took over them. <laughs> no, but you're right, I don't like doing certain things. And so we avoid certain things. But necessity, necessity is this thing that's, that's a part of us. But, it's, you know, it says, uh, people have said this, necessity is the mother of invention. The mother of invention, right? Because necessity compels us to do things that otherwise we would never do, right? Uh, uh, hunger, hunger is a, is a drive of necessity even for a lazy person, right? It's, it's, if a lazy person weren't, wasn't driven by hunger and by need, they probably wouldn't do anything, right? Because they, they just sit there like a blob. And so necessity drives them even to for the sake of self-preservation. Uh, but when a sense of purpose exists, no other motivation is necessary. When, a, when we have a value inside of us, 
when we start to like certain things, the things you like to do, you don't need necessity to push you. You like to do them. Right? And so uh, that's, that's just the way we're going. Necessity uh, only comes into play when the sense of purpose is, is absent. But here's, the, here's the, the journey that we're on. The challenge is that purpose is a characteristic of maturity. It's, it's, it's an arrival point. But until we come to purpose, we are driven by necessity. But here's what happens. There's, when we do that for our kids, when we say, hey, clean your rooms and whatnot, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to see the transition. I've watched with not all of my kids, but, but some of my kids take on a value that they didn't have as a child. And all of a sudden, it's amazing when I see them doing the thing that we made them do when they were reluctant and didn't want to do it, now they love to do it. What happens is, is that that thing that they produced by doing what they didn't want to do, they started to enjoy, like a clean room. Now, some of you may be here, and if you're fully grown adults, you're like, I still don't have a clean room. My wife's always barking at me about it. Well, maybe your mom should have made you do it. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about that another time. But, but what happens is, is there's a moment where the values that others have uh, and call us to walk in, they become ours. There, there's a place, see, what we're doing as parents is we're seeding into our children certain values that they are not given to organically, but our hope is that they're going to they're gonna pick up along the journey more than their toys. They're going to pick up a sense of, uh, of value for order. And, and, if, and if you think, well, they'll just get it when they're older, no, they won't. You, they have to be made to do that. Well, I don't want to do, spend my whole life making my kids do things they don't want to do. Well, suck it up. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the role of being the parent. But, it, but it's, it's easier and more efficient if I do it. Yeah, but you're missing the point. You're destroying them in the, in the, in the journey then. It's not just about getting those things done. I remember hearing this guy. I was in Australia, and I was with this guy. And he said, well, why should I ask my kids to pick up something when I can just as well do it? Because you know how to do it, and you value order, but they don't. And if you don't make them a part of the process, you're stealing from them the opportunity to obtain that value. Yes, that's great. That's true. Well, God is a father. God is our father. God is your father. God, is, God has a set of values. There's things that, that he treasures. There's ways that he thinks. And those ways are not just different from Satan's. They are qualitatively better. Right? It's, it's not just a divergence, you know. Satan, part of his accusation, oh, you just hate divergence because you're so egotistical, God. That's the accusation. He said, but God's like, no, I'm just better. <laughs> All right? God is better. And what he has, the values he has, are not up for discussion. They are the best way to go. And so he's, he's leading us along this way. 
Anyway, there was a, a point in my life where I was struggling. I was struggling. We were, I don't know, we had four or five kids or something. Way too many. <laughs> they were great. Love the kids. But, I mean, it was hard. We didn't have any money. I was, God was trying to teach me to walk by faith. I, you know, I begged God to let me go and plant a church or something like that. But he was teaching me to believe. He was using the pressure of this situation, right, the necessity of the circumstances to bring things to a head in my life. And, uh, and I, I didn't understand all this. I trusted him, you know, but I still got frustrated. And I remember several times walking by, I'd be in Superstore and I'm seeing that lotto counter. I'm, I'm looking at the, the, you know, the $4.3 million windfall and I thought, God, you know, I'm here, I'm your servant, I love you, I'm doing your work, I'm traveling all over the place, uh, you know, I'm, I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm writing, I'm doing the things you're doing, you know, how about leave me of uh, some of the pressures here, what, how about getting me the right lottery ticket numbers, you know, I got just, you know, you can do that, I need money, and you can do that, like, it's a match made in heaven here. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't really like the idea of buying things. But occasionally, uh, I buy gas at a place and they give me a free ticket. I thought, Hallelujah, this could be it. I, you know, I haven't haven't gone against my convictions of buying lottery tickets, and, and and yet here is one in my hand. Thank you. This could this is a great chance. Like you know, we don't want to pass this moment up, Lord. <laughs> anyway, it just was something that would surface every once in a while as I considered the plight of my journey. And, I'm, and I, I remember one day I was sitting there thinking, like, God, why wouldn't you just do this? And then he showed me something. I, I just remember it so clearly. He showed me that I did not love him as much as I thought I did. He showed me that I was not as devoted to him as I thought I was. Uh, I can't even explain how God does this. It's this, this instantaneous clarity that just strikes you. And you just, all of a sudden, I saw that if I had $3 million in my bank account, that all the things I was presently doing for God, I would stop doing. That, that, that I was not at a place where those things, the values, the the, the, uh, the vision for those things were so part of me that I would do them aside from necessity. And in that moment, I saw that necessity was pushing me, that the tension of, you know, I, I didn't want to do anything else but ministry. I wanted to write. I was discovering things. I was teaching at the Bible college, making almost nothing. You know, I was doing these things. I was traveling, going to churches and, and whatnot. But, but I, I, I thought, if I, if I had $3 million, Mark, you wouldn't do this. But I was in a journey. I was, I was growing. I was developing. I was struggling at finding a pure word from the Lord. I was, I was learning to edit my ideas down to something that was the word of God and not just good ideas. And that is a craft that was being developed through necessity. 
And the pressure God was, but I, I was thinking, man, I, I just was so surprised because I thought, surely I am more noble than this. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. You're just not that pure. And, uh, and it was like, okay. I mean, it, it wasn't the worst revelation I had about myself. So I, I took it like a man. Of course, I didn't tell my wife. But, um, but I, I realized that, you know, that, oh, this, this is a reality. And, and it's a little humbling because you think you're very, you know, I'm very disposed to doing, doing the will of God. I am pursuing the glory of God in the earth. I am completely committed to his kingdom. No, you're not. I, I, I still have to apply pressures on you to get what I... I need you to do because you don't quite share the values that I share. You see, there comes a point where pressure is no longer needed with our kids. There comes a point where they love a clean room as much as we love a clean room. Where, where they, they just loved the order. They, they, you know, besides stepping on toys that are cutting into your feet and, you know, those kinds of, they just, they just, suddenly they just like it. There's something right about the room when it's, it's prepared, when it's ready, when it's clean, when it's, when there's not cobwebs, when there's not gum stuck on the doorknob or whatever it is. That moment is a moment of arrival. And God is looking at you, and what he's saying is, listen, I want you to value what I value. I'm I'm not here just making you do things. I'm here giving you an opportunity to move from necessity to purpose. But because of immaturity, necessity is where we start. Because it's not inside of you it's not a part of your being well here's the thing recently I was driving and I was praying and I was thinking and all of a sudden I had another epiphany and God showed me that there are values that I have inside of me things I do not because of threat of punishment and not because of promise of reward but simply because I love what he loves I realized, wow. And all of a sudden I saw that there was a connection to authority. That authority in the kingdom, it comes into line with the shared values. And so what God is looking at, we say, Lord, you promised that I was going to be a person of authority. Yes, you are. And that you will cross the threshold when you get my values. When you love what I love, then you get my authority. See, this is what God, Jesus was after with Peter. Peter, you know, you, you love being the king. You love being the main man. And you know what? You're called to be the main man. You're called to be the forerunner. You are called to be the guy who's going to stand up one day and 3,000 are going to be saved in one day. You know, that's, that's coming. But right now, <laughs> you don't really love me. You are afraid of punishment or you're in it for reward. Outside pressure, necessity is, is a boundary around you, keeping you harnessed, keeping you focused. But there's going to come a day where you organically carry my heart. It comes, it's coming a day when you look at my children 
and you long for them what I long for them, when competitiveness is gone, when jealousy, when, when uh, fear, when th- feeling threatened about your place and authority is no longer a reality because you just long for them to succeed like I long for them to succeed. In that day, pressure, necessity, no longer is your master. You've transitioned to something. Now here's the question, when, when does that happen? Right? When when does that happen? Well, it's happening all the time, but it's happening in different levels, at different paces. It's happening in our lives. God is is the author and finisher of your faith. He is the potter and you are the clay, and he is arranging things. But we're so unaware of what's going on. We just feel pressure. I feel pressure from money. I feel pressure of kids. I feel pressure that I haven't shoveled the, the walk yet. I feel pressure from my wife, my husband, my job. My business, I, I want to get out of this pressure. No, you don't. What you want is what the pressure will create inside of you, and God is using that to bring you to, to conformity with him. Wow. <laughs> so let me just say this. Love the process. Love the process. You know, it's interesting because uh, Galatians 3 to 24 and I, there's a whole other side teaching on this that has to do with the law. But this is what it says. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was our tutor. The law made you do things that you didn't really want to do. What's the point? When, when, well, I'm not under the law anymore, so I can do what I want. No, no, no. The law brings you to the place where you want to do the things that the law couldn't necessarily even make you do. Now, as parents, it's it's different. We can make our kids clean their rooms, but we can't make them love cleaning their rooms. (laughs) The law can't make you love the outcomes of obeying the law. The law can't even make you love anything, but... It holds you, it, it pushes you, it applies pressure to get you going in the direction you can. But, but here's the thing, we spend so much time doing what we don't want to do, being told that, you know, we should value worship more, we should read the word more, we should do these things more. And, and you know, so should I not do it just because I don't know? No, you should do it. But do it with the hope that one day you're going to cross over and that love for that thing that God has is going to be, it's going to take root inside of you. And no longer will you need to be compelled to do that. You'll want to. You know, this is what Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of us are thinking, yeah, when's that happen? <laughs> right? It's a, it's a process. And little by little, different parts of the precepts represented in the law become values that we slip into, and suddenly it's not an effort. It's not, it's not a sacrifice. It's not painful to do that. I just love to do that. Listen to this. We're getting to a close. Hebrews 1, verse 8. This is what it says, talking about Jesus. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's a long time. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You 
have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Why did God anoint Jesus with this way? Because he hated lawlessness and loved righteousness. You see, there's... Sometimes we love things we shouldn't love. And we don't do them, not because we don't love them, but there's a threat. There's a necessity hanging over. Like, well, if I, if I do this thing, you know, then I, A, I feel bad, B, God could punish me, da-da-da-da-da-da. That's a temporary fix. That is not your constant status or status in the Lord. You are meant to move organically to the place where the values that are in him become your values. And when that happens, you don't need supervision anymore. You don't need a voice at your back saying, do this, go there. You just love to do what he loves you to do. And his commandments... John says, are not burdensome. Have you ever read some of those scriptures and thought, yeah, uh, that's not my experience thus far? Let me, let me encourage you. Keep going. Except that we are children. Like, that was the thing. I thought, I thought I, I'm such a zealous believer. I'm so given to your kingdom. I don't need need to drive me. Until he showed me I did. It's like, ugh. Okay. We are his workmanship. We just want to submit to the process. Ask him, okay, God. Accept the pressures are not always fun. But what are you after? Whatever you're after, whatever you're planting, whatever you want to organically take root in me, I want that too because I want my yoke to be easy, my burden light, and your commandments to not be a burden. Father, I pray today. Ah, God, I pray today that you would bring a deep and profound alignment to our hearts. Father, we want to declare, <laughs> Lord, I love you. I'm so thankful that you are in charge of this journey, that you know what you're doing. I'm so thankful that you didn't let me settle somewhere along the way, that you're bringing us to your promised land. And that, that little site by the creek that was better than the wilderness, Lord, we would have stopped there. We would have, we, would have, we would have been happy to make our life there. But you said, no, there's something better over the next hill. And you pushed us a little further. Because you are a good God. This is the thing, guys. He is a good God. He is a good Father. He knows <laughs> the beauty of the promise that he wants to give you. And he's committed to bringing us into that. Liberty, freedom, joy. So as we worship here, let's just, in as much as you're able, just let's respond to him, saying, God, what do you want to do?
Am I resistant? Am I deceived about my level of commitment even? I submit. Father, we don't want to be like Bilbo, holding on to some secret thing, fearing you're going to cross into our world and take something from us we don't want to give. We don't want to live under the compulsion of that kind of terror and insecurity. Let's just reach out to him for a few minutes. So in that moment when God showed me, I saw what would happen if I had $3 million. I'd still be a Christian, yeah. But I'd probably have a house in France and a house somewhere in Florida. You know, in a week here, a week there, then, you know, I love golfing. We'd probably do a little more golfing. And I just saw just one thing after another pulling me in a whole different orbit. A few years ago, I was talking to a First Nations leader, and they were talking about a town that, because of some settlement with the government and some oil money, they had a really strong Christian church of witness, and everybody got a pile of money. And he said it just totally destroyed the church. Everybody cast off the restraint because now what they really wanted to do was within their power. And the, to- the church disintegrated and, and was gone. And every good, faithful believer who thought they loved God, who was there, committed, regular. The means to do what you really wanted came in. Father, we pray. We, we say thank you, God. Thank you that you restrained us. Thank you, Lord, that you put perimeters around us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you did not leave us to our own devices. Thank you, God, that you know what I need. You know who I need in the circumstances in my life. You, I know who I need in a spouse. You know who, what I need financially. You know what I could handle. You know what would destroy me. You know and you love me, so I trust you. I trust you, and I say, Lord, let murmuring... Let discontentment, let accusation, let frustration filter out of my life. You're a good, good God. You're a good, good God. And I'm done complaining. I'm done kicking at the goats. I'm done trying to get out from your yoke. Lord, your yoke is the best thing that I could ever have. You know, I've shared this story before. I'm sure many of you know it, but I remember when my son, Kalen, was young. And there was one day that I turned the burner on to cook some food, and I noticed my son see the, the red burner. And something inside of him went, I want to go touch that thing. And I could see him slowly creeping over to the stove. And I went over to him, and I said, don't touch that stove. 
He just kind of looked at me and said, don't touch that. That's going to burn your finger, bud. Stay away from that. And I back away, and then I went to grab something. I turn around, I look, and I see him again going right for that burner. And I walk over to him again, and I'm like, son, <laughs> I told you it's going to burn your finger. And so I, I slap his finger, and he gives me a dirty look, and I'm like, don't touch that thing. It'll burn you. And then again, I kind of turn to the side, and now I'm kind of going to watch him to see what he does. And I look at him again a third time, and we know what he's going to do. He's heading right for that burner again the third time. So I give him a good slap on the hand, and I say, don't touch that burner. I told you. Now you're just disobeying me. The fourth time. This was the hard one. Because I heard the Holy Spirit say, let him touch the burner. He went over and he touched that burner. And he never touched it again. He sees his dad. I wasn't trying to control him. I wasn't trying to own him in any way or form. I was just a dad trying to save my son from a whole bunch of pain and agony. You know, I've heard something. I grabbed Nathan's massive Bible. That's a big Bible. I want to declare something today. This is not hate literature. Are you hearing me? This is not hate literature. We have a culture declaring this as hate literature. This is not hate literature. You see, we have a God who already knows the consequences of everything that we do that goes against his blueprint, his user manual. The very thing that he gave to us as a gift to protect us from things like addiction, shame, loneliness, separation, hurt and pain. He knows that when we go against this, that's what it does. It's like touching that burner and we just get burned. But something inside of us is just so tempted to go touch the burner. He's a good God. Can we declare that today? His discipline, His goods. He is doing this for our good. He is doing it to protect us. He is doing it to cover us. He's a good God. So we're going to close a little early today. We're just going to open the altars up. We're going to sing a little bit longer. If you want to come and get prayer, we're going to ask our ministry team to come and pray. But may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his light shine upon you. May he give you healing where you need healing. May he give you financial breakthrough where you need financial breakthrough. I see relationships being restored. I see people in this room, if you don't know the Lord, maybe today's your day to invite him into your hearts. Today is the day to give glory to a good God. Amen? So bless you in Jesus' name.